From Bainbridge Island to the villages. Pickleball is one of the fastest growing sports in America. Buckeye to Abbotsford. Time out, baby, yeah! St. George to Rochester and all points in between. If you've heard of pickleball or you already play it, then you know. This is the Pickleball Show. This is Deb Harrison of PicklePongDeb.com, and here's the host of the Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. From the PBX Club Studios in Asheville, North Carolina, it's the Pickleball Show. I am your host, Chris. I wish I didn't have to split step every time. I'd much rather just hit and run. Allen. I'm trying out new middle names here, and that's, uh, I don't know if that one will make the cut, but uh, I'm joined today by Mark Rennison of ThirdShotSports.com up in Collingwood, Ontario, Canada, just a couple of hours north of Toronto. Mark, how are you today? Hello, Chris. I'm doing just great. Thank you. Boy, yeah, you know, I always, I think, I don't need to split step this time. I can just hit this and catch it on the run and be up at the line in no time. I'll do it right on the next point, but this point, I'm just going to shortcut it. Yeah, why why waste that energy split stepping it? <laughs> I know. I don't want to have to stop and then get started up all over again. No, I'll just do two things at one time. I'll multitask. I'll get up to the line and hit at the same time. What could possibly go wrong with that strategy? How's that work? <laughs> not too well not too well at all we're also joined today by a special guest uh you've seen him at tournament of champions you've seen him on the medal stand there or you've seen him on the nationals on the medal stand there he's all over the place and one of the world's top players it is matt Staub. matt thank you for joining us today on the pickleball show Thanks for having me, Chris. This is awesome. Really appreciate you letting me come on here. Well, it's a lot of fun, and it sure, it sure is fun having uh, having a top player of your caliber on to answer our questions and hopefully make us better players. One of the things, even though uh, we haven't spoken before, you have helped me tremendously over the past couple of years. The videos that you and your dad have made have really been crucial in my progress. The, uh, the third shot video that you guys made along with Rusty over at Pickleball Channel. It made more of a difference than anything. Uh, When I was just starting out, when I saw that, that was the big light bulb going off and the whole thing about the ball arcing on your side of the court, the apex of the ball on your side, and then it descends into the kitchen. Boom. You know, I couldn't wait to get out the next day and try that. And that made just a world of difference. So thanks to you and thanks to your dad for all the stuff that you guys have put out there information wise, because it really does help people. Oh, I appreciate that a lot. And I think most people, when they say stuff, is definitely that third ball video. And Rusty and the crew can can make anybody sound like they know what they're talking about. So hats off to them. <laughs> now, one thing, I've been watching videos of you lately, not only uh, your, your gold medal performance at Tournament of Champions, uh, but other ones as well. It seems like that your strategy may be evolving It seems like a lot of times I'll watch you serve and then you'll take the return and then your third shot will be more of a drive. That'll come back to you. And then on the fifth shot, that'll be your soft shot. Is that a fair analysis or am I just, is it just a random thing and I'm reading too much into it? No, you're absolutely right. And don't let me forget to talk about the split step. I liked um, where you were going with that. And uh, so we'll go touch on that later. But as far as using the drive, the new technology with these new paddles, you can just get so much topspin and so much power that if you're not adding it to your game, you're, you're falling behind. So... You know, as far as technology goes, I'm currently switched to Robert Elliott's Engage Encore, and 
with that, you can just get so much topspin and so much power that even if I'm not necessarily trying to hit a winner, trying to get a free point, it's just even if they take a good crack at it, you're hitting the ball so hard that you can't volley it firmly. And so you can take that next ball and hit your third ball, like which I guess you were saying would be your fifth ball, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take that and use that as a third ball, and you might get some cheap points off the first one hitting a drive. And, you know, you've seen a lot of people do it for a long time. You know, Kyle Yates, Daniel Moore does it. Some of these guys use it. And with these new paddles, you, you really probably need to start adding it to your game. So you're thinking, well, let's just, let's zing it at him first and see, and we may, it'll either, it might, might go in the net. If, if it comes back, it might not come back very well. It'll be high or it'll be weak or it'll be something that I can really do something with. I can pounce on it. So might as well take a chance. And you feel like, obviously you're a good enough volleyer to where there's not a huge downside. If it does come back, you'll pretty much be able to take it no matter uh, how much velocity it's got on it. Right. I mean, as far as the split step, you know, as long as I take a crack at it and and split step before they volley it, you know, I still feel like I'm not really losing that much by taking that chance on the front side. And you might get some cheap points out of it, which, as I think everybody's finding out, cheap points are hard to come by now with the players getting better and better. Yeah. And I think you need to mix in some free points like that. Also, it puts an emphasis on your and their return of serve, because really the main time to do it is on a short return. So if somebody hits a short return, and I tell you who does it better than anybody, just came to mind, is Scott Moore. Watch some videos of him. He takes a short ball, and he is going to rip it at you. So it really puts pressure on your service return to hit it deep, and you might get some cheap points there. So not only are you getting free points by driving the ball at them, but now you're getting some cheap points. Maybe they hit a return out. Maybe they hit a return in the net just because they're worried, hey, if I hit this ball short, I'm going to get it blasted at me. And then it becomes a, a scenario of... If you are getting three or four free points, you only have to play to seven, and the other team has to play to 11. Exactly. And not to say that you don't have to do the other things. Obviously, you still have to do everything else well, but you know, it's just part of the game where you need to mix in some of those with these new paddles, some of those free points. It's kind of like I liken it to the tennis with these big servers hitting these big aces. At this point in the game, in tennis, you've got to mix in some free points. It's kind of getting that way with pickleball, too. Well, that's what I was wondering, because the for, for the longest time, the serve and the return have been described as the formality phase of the point where, uh, you know, it's it, the point doesn't really start until the third shot. And uh, I think that that is becoming less and less true. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing people that are looking to be more aggressive and trying to gain an immediate advantage right off the serve, right off the return? Oh, 100%. I mean, like I said, I can't stress enough. These new paddles are, are just getting so powerful. And it's good and bad. I mean, I, I like the old style of play, not the, the formality serve and return, but the new style, I mean, people are just crushing serves and, and crushing returns. And so it's becoming really important because you hit that return short, you know, they're going to get a free point. And as far as if you're just patty kicking your serve in there, now they're taking that return, crushing it at your feet, hitting a heavy slice, and it makes your third ball nearly impossible. So the serve and return are becoming really critical. I think it's strictly just because of these paddles. You know, you can do so much more with them that it is a disadvantage if you're not taking a crack at the serve or the return for that matter. The receiving team maybe has a little bit less of an advantage now than they used to because, uh, you know, they're, I mean, yeah, they're still going to be able to get up to the line, but you've got between your serve and then uh, your third shot, if you zing that at him, you've got two shots to put some power behind and uh, maybe get them to make a mistake early. 
Hundred percent. I mean, watch Scott Moore, watch Matthew Blom, those two guys, big serves, and then they're they're coming in looking to hit you. So I think with these paddles, you, you're going to have to take a swing and a serve now, and you better hit a good return too. So it's really putting emphasis on that. Where I agree with you beforehand, and you know, previous years, it really didn't matter. Now, one thing that has always been intriguing to me, uh, the fact that uh, you you have kind of the the, the lineage there, your your dad, uh, you know, national champion, and now you're following in his footsteps. You know, you're you're in the nationals, you're in the finals last year, and and winning tournament of champions, and that's always been intriguing to me. How uh, I guess you know, you look at football, you look at the Manning family, and uh, I mean, there's something going on there. You know, besides, I love, I love that I've been mentioned in the same sentence as Peyton Manning. <laughs> Well, you know what I mean, though. I mean, to have to 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 be a great quarterback is one thing, but then to have two of your sons, you know, also have super. Or, well, he didn't get a Archie Manning didn't have a Super Bowl ring, but uh, I mean, to to have them just play in the NFL, there's got to be something going on there more than just good genes. He's got to be teaching them something, and I'm always intrigued by that because that means, all right, aha, you know, there is something that can be taught that can lead to becoming a great player. What kind of things did you learn from your dad that you think made you the player that you are today? Um, probably pretty much ever. I mean, I, I would liken it all to tennis background, and he taught me everything there is to know about tennis growing up. So, I mean, that's where that form came from. And I think I've had a lot of people tell me that, you know, we look exactly the same with our strokes on the court. So the tennis background definitely helped. So everything was from him. And pickleball, we kind of came along together when, when he first moved to Florida was really when we kind of started taking it seriously. So we kind of learned together and kind of our games, I think, pretty much grew at the exact same pace. You guys had each other to bounce things off of as you were both learning and, and progressing. Exactly. And I mean, we, you know, we went through the same phases, oh, too hard, too soft, this, that, and the other. And I think now our games are a little different if, in when we go teach clinics and stuff. I think we have different views on different uh, approaches, different shots, but, you know, our form's the same, and I think our general concepts are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and while I'm on that point, I think, you know, and having all these people on the show and all these teachers is all great, and the one thing I would tell everyone is that there is no right way to play. This this game is so young and is still growing. There's no one way to play. I can take any shot on the court and say, all right, well, I would have done it this way, but, you know, Mark would have done it this way, or Daniel Moore would have done it this way, or... Aspen, Chris Miller, anybody, you know, and they're not wrong. I mean, that way might work for them, might work for you. I I think the best thing to do is to take, and this is what I did when I was first learning, when I hadn't been to nationals or even the first couple times at nationals is look at each player and say, hey, what did they do to me or what do I like about their game? Even watch it on YouTube. What do I like about their game? And go out and do it. Go out and try it. Add it to your game. Get a piece. Get something from every player that you like and put it in your game because there's no wrong way to play. Yeah, I think it's important to, uh, to to keep experimenting, keep trying some new things. And it doesn't mean to totally abandon your game, but if you have kind of one foot rooted in the fundamentals, it's okay to, to you know, try this little area. And if it's, it doesn't work for you, you can back, you know, go back into your solid game and then go and try this little area. And, uh, but, and sometimes you do find things that work for you. And then, you know, those are the keepers. Yeah, for sure. Now, one thing about you is in watching videos – it's almost as if your backhand is more dangerous than your forehand. Have you ever heard that? Oh, I, I not only have I heard that, but I would agree with you. And I tell everyone that. And that's why Chris Miller with Aspen, with Dan, they all love their forehands. And I like my backhand more than my forehand. So I let them go play what would be the forehand side of the court, the power side. 
and you know I'll just camp out on my little square and hit backhands. Really, my backhand's in the middle, so if I get, I can pretty much cover everything I want to cover with a backhand when I'm on that right side of the court. And when you have really good partners, you just kind of stand there and let them take over. So it makes it nice. How is it that your backhand got to be so strong? Because I know that most people, they're constantly trying to favor their forehand. They're thinking, oh, please don't let it hit to my backhand. Some of them, they'll run around. I mean, they'll just run around half the court to avoid hitting a backhand. And you have such a strong backhand, you actually prefer it. How did uh, you develop it to that point? And what can the rest of us do to help strengthen our backhands? I mean, it definitely 100% came from my dad. He favors his backhand as well. So when I was learning everything from him, I guess just was taught the right way. And I think the main thing that I see when people struggle with backhands, you know, when we do these clinics, when we go teach people, is that their grip just from the get-go. They, they love their forehand because they have this exaggerated forehand grip that makes it nearly impossible to hit a backhand. And to hit it well, you're going to have to use the Continental. You're going to have to even be a little Eastern. I mean, I know if you look at Daniel Morgan, sorry, I keep going back to him, he holds it in almost Eastern grip, whereas it makes your backhand that much easier. And for a lot of these people, you're going to have to change your grip to get that better backhand, which is going to make your forehand harder and you're going to have to adjust some things on your forehand side, but it's the only way you're going to be able to hit a backhand effectively. Hey, Chris, can I, uh, can I jump in here? Please, Mark, go right ahead. So I've got to say, it is such a breath of fresh air to hear Matt talk about this. And I think any of the listeners out there, you know, who are asking themselves, how do I make my pickleball game better? Like, what can I do? You can hear it when he talks about it. You can see it when you watch him play, whether it's live or on YouTube, is that being able to hit effective shots off both your forehand and backhand side make your life so much easier. It means that you don't have to consistently put yourself out of position so you can avoid your weakness. It means that you don't have to run around as much, so you're not going to be as tired. I, I would say, and Matt, disagree if you think, but for those novice and intermediate players out there who are, you know, they understand the game and they want to start to play better, I would really recommend stop avoiding your weaknesses, right? Especially in practice. You know, so I wonder, uh, you know, if Matt's out training one day, what percentage of the time what, when he's hitting ground strokes, what percentage is forehand, what percentage is backhand? Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. When I'm playing, and, and I know Mark, and I know you know all the top people do it, if you're not in a tournament, you're working on your the worst part of your game. So, you know, the, the video I think that, Chris, you saw where I'm just, you know, hitting every third ball, coming over it, hitting as hard as I can, I know that's my weakness. I've never done that before, so that's why I'm constantly doing it, just so I can get used to it get more comfortable with it. I know come game time, I'm going to revert back to what's comfortable for me and, and what works for me, but you got to do what you're the worst at, I guess, in practice in order. It's the only way you're going to get better at it. So That's for sure. We're talking with Matt Staub, one of the world's top players. What's your question for Matt today? You can type it in the little text box there, or you can raise your hand, and I can call on you and unmute your microphone. This is our brand new webinar format of the Pickleball Show, and we're going to do a quick trivia question here. It's true-false trivia. Let's go ahead and launch it right now. This is straight from the rule book, and it is true or false, a a referee may ask a player to change his or her shirt if the color is deemed too similar to the ball color. True or false, a referee may ask a player to change his or her shirt if the color is deemed too similar to the ball color. 
Go ahead and vote on that. Now, uh, Matt, there's been a video. I know that Rob Elliott did uh, did one on the dink. And then Deb Harrison is also changing her dink style. Uh, she used to talk about uh, the elephant arms and the, the paddle pointed directly down on the court. And now she's changing, I think, more to the style that, that Rob has been advocating. And that is the, the broken wrist style where uh, the paddle is a little bit above your wrist. You're having to reach down lower but uh, he says that you get better control on the ball and that uh, and then Deb said she likes the angle that the ball goes in over the net it's not so loopy and uh, it tends to to hug the net a little bit more what's your dink style like is it more I looking at videos you seem to alternate from one to the other and I couldn't really pin down a particular style would you say that you have one I think you got to use both um, when you're going down the line I think is when you use the more Drop the paddle. You can drop the paddle head that way. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything else is, is straight from tennis, and that's, I guess, I haven't seen Rob's video, but having that wrist locked at a 90-degree angle, whether it's on your forehand, on your backhand, um, and that's how you get super consistent with it. And, yeah, you got to move your feet, and, and basically it comes down to that and footwork. I think a lot of people, when they're struggling with dinking, they don't realize how much footwork is involved with it. I mean, you got to get yourself in the perfect position every time in order to be consistent. So moving your feet, getting outside the ball, getting in the proper position, or short hopping is critical. But to back to your point, the wrist, I do keep mine at a 90-degree angle most of the time. Above my arm, I guess is how you would say it. Mm-hmm. And that that's just straight from a tennis volley. Is I'm sure Mark would teach you the same way. Yeah, so we often call that, in tennis, we call that having a laid-back wrist, right? And the laid-back wrist, which you see, uh, yes, in volleys for sure, in drop shots, um, you even see the laid-back wrist uh, in topspin forehands, right? And what that allows is it allows you to, to make contact out in front between your body and the net, which is a strong position to hit from, mm-hmm. while at the same time being able to control the angle of the paddle. So when you get that that continuous line, um, you know, all the way from your shoulder, down your arm, to the wrist, to the paddle, that continuous line, if you make contact out front, all of a sudden the, the paddle is going to be angled cross-court. And so what happens is players have to end up letting the ball get almost behind them in order to hit straight, which is a very weak hitting position. So Matt's absolutely right, and I would say with most of the best players, you do see this laid-back wrist technique because it allows you to hit from a strong position and still control the direction of the ball. And that's the technique where the skin on your wrist is actually, uh, there's a fold in your skin because you've got your wrist kind of cocked up a little bit? That's right, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so the so the, the hand is sort of flexing back towards the forearm. Right, okay, gotcha. Just wanted to make sure we were... Just to, to before I forget, the, the wrist like that, a lot of people when they run into problems with inconsistency, dinking, is what we call they leak. They, you know, their, their wrist drops a little bit or their paddle get a little lazy getting below um, the arm, and that's when you run into problems. That's, uh, I'm probably guilty of that because, frankly, I don't want to re- I don't want to have to reach down so low. Uh, I'm 6'4", so it's, it, you know, it's a little bit longer to get down to, to, oh, to the well ground. Oh, is me. I well know. is me, I'm 6'4". <laughs> I know. Matt is also right that, um, that for a lot of recreational players, the role of movement is underestimated um, on dinks. And so it's an easy trap to fall into, which is, oh, I'm, I'm hitting a dink. I'm hitting the ball slowly. Therefore, I move slowly. Mm-hmm. And what you see is, let's take two examples. Let's take Matt um, hitting dinks. If that guy, if you give him 10 balls uh, to dink and you took a picture every time he made contact, I guarantee you that he's going to look 
Like he's going to have the identical setup every time. It doesn't matter where you put the ball because he's going to move to get that ideal setup. Right. And then as you go down down in level, what you'll see is you'll see players, um, if you take those 10 pictures when they make contact, all of a sudden they look quite different, right? One, they're reaching you know away from their body. The other, they're jammed. They're too close. One, they're falling off the back foot. One, they're reaching forward. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that separates levels of player is their ability to receive the ball in a similar way each time, which then gives them a much better chance to send the ball in a consistent way. Good point. And I, th- I like that point. I like the way you put that. I think the game didn't used to be like this, but it's becoming more this way. It, it is more physical. And I think at the top level, you know, people want to say that pickleball is very much a mind game. And I would disagree with that wholeheartedly. I really hate when people say that because sure, you know, you need to think about what shot you're going to play when, but at this point it is as much physical as it is mental you know, to be that consistent and aggressive and defensive, all these things, there is a level of physicality in it now where you're going to have to move your feet, you're going to have in top shape to do these things and put yourself in the right position to hit, you know, whatever you think might be the right shot, but it's it's almost more important physically now. I have a, I have a friend who we introduced Pickleball to him. He was new. He's also a tennis coach. His first time playing, you know, he had the usual thing where, oh, the ball doesn't bounce much and the paddle's kind of short. And within 10 minutes of playing against decent players, he looked and he, he said, oh, Mark, I get it. You move, you win. And it was like this light bulb went off for him. And it's like, if you just move well, if you move better than those other guys, if you get to the ball so you're well set up, not relying on reaching for the ball, if you move, you win. And I think we often, you know, as intermediate players, rely, we think too much about the hitting aspect of pickleball. I mean, you can have the nicest swing anyone's ever seen, but if you're not in the right place, it doesn't matter. Oh, unless you're Chris, you, you're in six four, and you just throw up a tent and camp out there. That's all you do. That's all unless you got to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, Chris <laughs> reach in <laughs> there. So hard to be six four. I know. I'm going to close out the poll here by reaching my six four arm over and pressing the button here. God. Uh, let's close out this true or false poll and uh, see what the results are. The uh, question is true or false. A referee may ask a player to change his or her shirt color. If the color is deemed too similar to the ball color, and 70% said that's true, 30% said that is false, the answer is false. Uh, this is the first time that you got a group on that. Yeah, this, you can wear any color. Any color is acceptable. The referee cannot ask you to change your shirt color if it is too close to the ball color. Whatever color shirt you want to wear is fine, and that is rule 2F1. I'd actually be interested to hear what Matt thinks about this. So I noticed a number of players at Nationals who it was pretty clear, you know, like the neon yellow shirts and shorts and socks. Yeah, what if you had a shirt that just had a bunch of pickleballs on it? Like I have my own perspective on it, but I wonder what Matt thinks about that. Like is that sort of within not just the the letter of the law, but is it within sort of the spirit of the law? Is it poor sportsmanship to try to use those kind of tactics to confuse your opponents? I, I mean, I see people doing it. I I've, honestly, when I'm playing, I have never noticed it or, or thought that it it was an advantage when I'm playing against somebody that does that. Um, and as far as people, I have never heard somebody say, oh, well, it's bad sportsmanship. I guess it could be kind of like baseball. If somebody does something you don't like, maybe you plunk them on purpose. So uh, maybe you, maybe you catch, uh, catch one in the chest if you're doing it. But I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's bad sportsmanship. Which actually is kind of interesting. I, I wanted to touch on what Gigi said earlier as far as there's no, you know, no right way to play. She said that she will never try to hit someone on purpose, and, and I found that kind of interesting because I am definitely trying to hit people on purpose. I mean, the court is too small and people are too fast to always try to be moving around. I mean, I'm just thinking of a, a Wes Gabrielson, a, a Kyle Yates. 
of course I'm going to try to hit them because if you give them anything on either wing, they're they're going to slap it harder at you than you hit it at them. So sometimes, I mean, yeah, of course you're trying to hit them. Yeah, though typically you're not trying to hit them in the head, not because right. you don't want to hit them in the head, but because if you miss, then you lose the point, right? The ball flies long. Oh, yeah, I mean, definitely not trying to, to hit them in the face or anything, but chest is completely in the realm. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely this part of the game. We're talking with Matt Staub, also Mark Rennison from ThirdShotSports.com. And Matt has agreed to join us for another episode of the Pickleball Show. And we'll have your questions. And Matt, we did want to talk more about uh, split-stepping. You had asked me to remind you that, so we'll get to that in the next episode. Sounds good? Awesome, thanks. Mark, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. And I'd like to thank you for joining us today as well. Hey, have you gotten your copy of the Top 10 Tips from Pickleball's Three Greatest Coaches? Coach Mo, Deb Harrison, Prem Carnot, all together in one quick study guide that will definitely take your game to the next level. It's totally free. You don't need a credit card. All you need is an email address. Head over to freepbxclub.com and we'll send it to you right away. That's freepbxclub.com. You can email us anytime also. Mail at pickleballshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Question, comment, whatever you got. Also, head over to iTunes. Hit that subscribe button. You'll never miss an episode. And if you feel it's appropriate, please leave us a five-star review. That helps boost us up in the rankings and makes it a lot easier for people to find the show. I'm Chris Allen. This is the Pickleball Show. And until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show was brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.